end of the chapter, so we'll uh, just work through these little, we've uh, been down through this already a couple studies ago and just kind of work through the details and uh, get ready then for next week starting chapter 8. Um, I was going to jump into chapter 8 but this, t this evening, but really we need to do some of this at one setting instead of breaking it up. So, um, Chapter 7, verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. So again, we're, we're here at the end of the chapter. And he's, Mark is drawing the contrast. Uh, the first part of the chapter, he's dealt with the Pharisees, uh, where they come in arguing about and wanting to know why you're not washing your hands, why aren't you following the traditions of the elders, why aren't you doing you know, what everybody else is doing, you just can't get along, you know. Uh, fall in line, you know, today they would, he, they would have said, you're being, a, why can't you be a sheep and get in line with everybody? So uh, the Lord answers them, verse 6 there, and he answered and said unto them, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And, and he, they, here's their problem. They have a hard problem. Externally, they look good. They're, 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 they got their hands clean. Everything's proper, in place, where it belongs. I got a haircut Sunday, you know, last week. I got home, I'm like, I need a hair. It's out of place. It's all over the place. And it's hot. And I'm done with it. So they're not there. They are good. They're in place. They're there. But what does he say, verse 7? Howbeit in vain, worthless, no value, no fruit, no, empty. And again, that's exactly what the religious system does. It looks good, but there's just nothing in it. So verse 8, he says, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. And that's the whole issue. And again, we went through this. Uh, if you have, you ought to have written down there Isaiah 58, 1 to 14, the whole chapter. That whole chapter in Isaiah 58 is about this issue here in Israel where you know what they do? They like to approach him. They delight in approaching me, but they don't delight in finding me. And that's exactly what Israel, the condition is. Isaiah 58 is clear. That's where they're at. That's where they are here. That's why in the Acts period, that early Acts, the Lord's going to go and, and Peter's dealing with them. He deals with them the way he does. Where are they? They're apostate. They're in unbelief. They have, they have uh, verse 9, and he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. They like the music. They like the ceremonies, they like the ABCs of what, all of it, and yet internally, that's not, they're, just, they're rotten to the core. That's why then he turns in the rest of this section down there, verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. And he answers the, the, the Pharisees, he answers them, and, but he then turns to the disciples and teaches them that the issue is what's going on in your heart. 
What defiles you is what's inside. You can clean up the external. You can wash your hands. You can wash your hair. You can do all of that, right? You can get all of that there, or you can wear a bandana. It's whatever, okay? No judgment, okay? You're welcome. All right? You can do all of that, but then really what is the issue? The issue is what's going on inside. And what the Lord's doing with the Pharisees is you need an internal change. That's the problem. And again, religion doesn't do that. They will have the external down. They don't worry. They're not concerned with the internal. They think because you have the external, then that will clean up the internal. And really, it doesn't work that way. Really, only God can impact the, the internal. So then Mark moves, verse 24, to, to he's going to, He's demonstrate, having demonstrated the hypocrisy of the leaders of the vain religious system that had captured Israel. Now he's going to turn with two miracles and he begins to demonstrate an issue here. And we have the Syrophoenician woman. We looked at last time. And then tonight we're going to look at the, the, uh, the deaf and the dumb man. Here And these miracles, by the way, they're unique to Mark. Um, Mark doesn't give us a lot of detail on the Syrophoenician woman. He just gets into it. Matthew, we went last time, looked at Matthew 15. And in Matthew 15, we got all of this legal stuff that was talked about, the Davidic covenant and this and the Abrahamic covenant and all this stuff. And what Mark is doing again is he says, here's the heart of the nation. It's an apostasy. It's all, it's in defi- it's defiled. And yet here is the heart of the Gentile who gets it. And here's the, now with the deaf and the dumb guy, here's going to be the condition in Israel, but here's how we're going to fix it. Okay? So, he, you really you're seeing the heart of the Lord. We see the heart, we see His heart toward the Gentile, and that's what Mark is de- demonstrating: the heart of the servant. Here it is. That's why in verse 24, and from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid for a certain woman whose daughter, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was. She hears, she comes, but in Matthew 15, he ignores her. He doesn't acknowledge her. She goes over, she's very persistent, which is ironic, being a woman, but she's very persistent, goes over, bugs the, the apostles. They come to him and say, would you just deal with her? Hey, I'm not sent to the law, but to the lost sheep. of what, I'm, what we are doing here is for Israel, not her. And she comes here in Mark, and she just pleads the need. She goes directly to the Lord. Again, she's not demanding. And the reason she doesn't make a demand is because she understands the program, and that's what's demonstrated. She understands the, the issues here. She's understanding. She actually understands Israel's program better than the leaders, but better than the apostles do. That's why he, why he said there, Matt, you have great faith. And again, not volume, but the object of it. 
So that's what Mark is doing. What does she do? She's like, well, verse 27, Jesus said unto her, let the church, let the church, <laughs> let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yea, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumb. What has she done? She's, her, he responds, let the children first be fed. Again, first, priority. They're first. And then we'll let the blessings be. But what does she say? Look, I'm under the table, Israel's table of blessing. I'm in the proper position. I'm willing to be under the table to get just a, just a little bit of a crumb off of, so we can go take care of my daughter. And that's when he makes that great faith comment in Matthew 15. So we, we see this great contrast. Here's the religious, here's the apostasy in Israel. Here's that empty, vain religion. And then here's the heart of the Messiah in spirit. In spite of all of this blindness, he reaches over and heals a Gentile lady's daughter, but doesn't not because he does it because of her great faith, because of her understanding. She literally is putting herself under the authority of Israel. Blind, defunct apostate Israel. She knows, she understands her position and is willing to be in that position. So what does he do? He recognizes her faith and then heals out. So in verse 31 now, we come to this a miracle here. And again, verse 32, sorry. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment. Now I do an impediment in his speech, and they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. So now we're going to have a guy come who can't hear, and he really can't, he can speak, but he can't speak plainly. If you look there at verse 35, and straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. He can speak. I, I don't know if you've ever been around deaf people who try to speak or who can speak. I have working on the school bus. Um, I actually had to, when the days when I was a fill-in driver, I drove our deaf bus that came out of Mountain View High. And it was a fascinating ride because some could speak. None of them could uh, hear. So it was all sign language. I, the craziest thing, first day, I get them loaded up. Time to go. Everybody's here. You know, everybody's got the thumbs up. So I go to the to the entrance to leave the parking lot, and I I have my route in my hand. I read the wrong line. I read the line down. I missed the, which way to go when leaving the school. Well, the traffic. I'm like, well, you got to go right. So I went right. The whole bus went, and then it went that way. And I mean, it startled me because I'm thinking everybody on my list is deaf. They won't be talking, and half the bus yelled at me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, oh, okay, okay, got it, got it, uh, you know. And then, you know, but the but so he could not hear. He could speak, but just not plainly. And what's going to happen here is this is a demonstration of the spiritual condition of Israel. 
they are deaf. They can't hear God's word, so then they can't speak it plainly. Okay? Hypocrites. The word says this, and you say that, but you're over here doing this. That's what they are. They can't hear it. They just can't, because they can't hear it, then they can't speak it plainly. So, Israel, again, the, the picture here is going to be Israel. They don't hear God's word, so then they don't have the ability to speak it. They don't have the ability to speak the word clearly. So the Lord's going to come, and he's going to he, heal the man in the passage, but in doing so, he's going to do some things that are different than all the other ones. You'll notice there in verse 32, they beseech him, the end of the verse, to put his hand upon him. They want him to do it, okay? And, and by the way, verse 31, the coast of the capitalist, that's up there where that maniac of Gadara was in, in Mark 5, that the uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, that, that spiritual darkness center, that's where he's at. And verse 32, he, again, he, he can't hear, he can't talk plainly. I, I love that thing. Straightway his ear, verse 35, was in the string of his tongue. He's tongue-tied. That's, by the way, that's where tongue, that saying comes from, tongue, being tongue-tied. You know, Dad always said, I've got my tongue wrapped around my eye teeth. I can't see what I'm saying. And that's the idea. Okay? So they bring him, verse 32, the end of the verse, and they beseech him to put his hands upon him. They want him to heal him. They've heard about him. His fame is out there. Everybody knows. They just saw the Gentile woman get take care of. Now they're doing this. Now watch verse 33. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Now you've got to think about this. He doesn't do this in front of the multitude. He pulls him to the side, and what he's doing is, as he's, you got the room, if, you, if we make this the room where he was at, he took him over in, into, the, into the office. Because in the office is the little flock, is the disciples. And what he's going to do is, is he's going to demonstrate something to the disciples. He's communicating to the little flock some information about the provision for the need of the nation that he's come to give. He's going to heal the guy. That's a given. But it's not going to be done, bam, and it's done. He's doing something else with it. He comes in, what does he do? He puts his fingers in his ears, he spits, and touches his tongue. Verse 34, he looked up into heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, epatheta, that is, by the way, that's a, an Aramaic word, what does it mean? Be open. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much more, the more a great deal they published it. So, what, so there's some things that he's going to do. Now, come over to chapter 8. And when we get into chapter 8, we'll look at the, the details here, but I just want you to see, see this happen again. Because, again, Matthew, 
By the way, the deaf and dumb guy, this, the deaf and dumb guy, this man in Mark 7, this only sits in Mark, okay? Now, Schofield's got a note about Matthew 15, but when you go read Matthew 15, it isn't the same guy. This is unique to Mark because he's demonstrating, again, the heart of the Savior. Here's the heart of the Savior, of the Messiah, to the Gentile in the proper place, bringing forth the, prop, the, uh, the proper faith response. He takes care of them. Now here's the heart as we see him restore, make a provision for the nation, but he's going to do it through the little flock. Because what's going to happen? In a couple chapters, he's going to die and go away. And they've got to occupy and carry on that early Acts ministry. So they're gonna, there's a process that's going to be here. Now, in chapter 8, if you look there at verse 22, here's the blind man. He come to Bethsaida, uh, I'm sorry, Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Again, what did he, he takes him away from everybody. Now, up to this point, he's always just touched them and it's done. But there's a teaching lesson here. And led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Now, by the way, we'll get into all the details in a couple weeks, okay? After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his home, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell any, any to, or tell it to any in the town. What do we have? We have a process. We're going to go outside, away from everybody. Here he spits on, he spit on him, spit on his eyes. Then he puts his hands on him. See, and then he asks some questions. He asks a question that wasn't quite. He wasn't seeing clearly yet, so he hits him again, and now he can see clearly. What I want you to notice is the process. He just doesn't instantly heal the man. There's a process. So when you come back into Mark 7, the Lord is, he is demonstrating to the little flock, the disciples, that there is a process that's going to be accomplished here with it's how the provision is going to come about to restore the nation. So verse 30, oh, where are we at? 33, and he took him aside from the multitude. So again, what do we do? We go away from the multitude, right? Then he put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. So there's, a pic, again, the picture here, the spiritual condition of Israel, deaf and dumb, they can't hear, so then they, they can't speak. And again, it's the whole, just like that Gentile woman, she knew where she belonged, she understood what was going on, she's in the right place. Again, that, her, that picture of her and in, being under Israel's authority and getting the blessing is there. Now, what is Israel, but what does Israel need? They're, they're the Pharisee crowd over there. They need to be what? Restored. It will come. 
He doesn't say, by the way, this man is healed. It, does, it comes, yet there's some things that need to happen in order for it to come about. So you have a process. He, one, he pulls away from the crowd to teach the, the disciples, the little flock, this. So first thing he does is put his fingers in his ears. So there's activity that's going to take place. Then he, touch, then he spits on him. Then he touches his tongue. But then in verse 34, and looking up to heaven, he what? He sighed. There's some suffering involved. So there is going to be some work to be done. There's some words to be communicated. And there's going to be some suffering that's going to be involved. So there's a process. And again, that's exactly what the little flock is going to have to do for the nation. They're going to have to do this. And so here's the details, okay? <laughs> the finger. Think about this. Here's what, he puts his fingers in his ears. Come, back, come over with me to Luke 11. What, what is the finger of God? Moses writes the Ten Commandments and, and he writes them in on the stone, uh, Luke 11, Luke 11. And then he, he, the finger of God writes them out and so forth. So get Luke 11 and get Matthew 12. So when you want to know what something means, you can always run to the dictionary. You can Google it. It'll tell you. It's amazing how Google has just destroyed the commentary. You know, I got a book room full of them back there, and it's like, I don't even use I just Google it. Oh, okay, oh, you know. But Google isn't always right, so you gotta, it's really never right when it comes to Scripture. But So when you think about this if, in Bible study, how do you do this? You, a guy asked me one time, if you were stranded on an island and you have your Bible, what one other book could you have? And I'm like, uh, Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, because it runs every verse in the Bible. <laughs> it helps with the tracing. But the thing is, is you don't need another book. You just need scripture because it will define it. It will help define it. Look at Luke 11. Look at verse 20. Now, we're not after the doctrine. We're just after the finger and the finger of God. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's the finger of God. Now, Matthew 12 is the corresponding passage, verse 28. So Matthew 12 and Luke 11 are the same event, Matthew 12, 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, when the kingdom of God has come up unto you. So if the finger of God is then defined as the Spirit of God, then what is the finger of God? It's the Holy Spirit. See, One way, again, it's helpful. It's like the word gospel. What's gospel mean? Good news. But it also means uh, glad tidings of great joy. Well, how do you know that? Romans 10, Paul quoting Isaiah 61, says what? Or I, uh, yeah, he's quoting Isaiah, but it's not Isaiah 61. You're in Luke. Are you still in Luke? Look at Luke 4. I'll just show you a verse. <clears throat> Luke 4. And that's Romans 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace 
and bring glad tidings of great things. And again, you run that back into Isaiah 52, and, and it's a gospel. Gospel, glad tidings. But look at Luke 4, and look at verse 18. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. See that? Now, if you go back where he quotes that from, which is Isaiah 61 and verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. So what is meek? Poor. What is gospel? Good news, good tidings of great joy. So when you think about the finger of God, come back to Mark 7, what do we have? Well, we have an understanding here that who, who is going to be needed in the activity? The Holy Spirit is. So the fingers in the ears, the finger of God, I mean, the Lord is God, so, you know, and, and he goes, don't make the gun sign. I was told, don't make the gun. Don't. Uh, society. The fingers in his ears, what is it going to take to help to restore hearing to Israel? It's going to require the Holy Spirit coming. So what happens on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2? The Holy Spirit comes. He comes. Now they can do what? Hear God's word. Okay? So th there's activity happening here. It isn't just gonna, he isn't just going to immediately touch them and it's done. There's a process here. So Mark 7, verse 33, he put his fingers into his ears and he spit. Now, that's an interesting thing. So the source of the healing, the source of the life is going to be the words that the Holy Spirit does what? Brings. And you think about spitting. It doesn't say what he spit. By the way, the Holy Spirit only works with what? The Word of God. Genesis 1, very one, one. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the deep, and the Spirit of God moved. Then in verse 3, and God said. What makes the Spirit move is God speaking. And that's the issue. The power is going to end up being in the Word. The power to heal Israel and heal the nation and get the nation right and ready to go is going to be this issue of the Holy Spirit coming. Well, Acts 2 and so forth, here we are. Now, he spits. Now, he's going to spit and he's going to touch his tongue. Uh, he, he doesn't say what he spits on. He doesn't say how this works. If you look back there at 8, in chapter 8, and verse 23, here he, uh, he takes the blind, blind man by the hand, and he spit on his eyes. 8, 8.23 there. See how he spit on his eyes? So, okay, what's going on here? Well, look over at John 9, because this isn't the only time the Lord spits. What's the spitting if you will. John 9. In John 9, we have a, 
the man born blind, verse 2, and his disciples ask him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So we have the blind man. Verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Notice what he did. He spit on the ground and he made clay. He and then he put it on the eyes. So what does he do? He took the dirt, spit in it, made the clay, reached over, and took care of what was happening. Okay? Now, think about that as we, and go back to Genesis 2. I said that about the creation. Look back here at Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Usually when we come to Genesis 2, we read the first three verses, and then we jump to verse 7, and then we jump to verse 16 and 17. And we miss all the good stuff in between. It's, a, it's crazy how we just do that. Because look at verse 5. Because people want to know the environment of the earth up to Noah and the flood. Because with Noah and the flood, he, it, it gets changed. But look at Genesis 2. Look at verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So the dew didn't come down and drop down, and so it comes up, okay? But who's not there yet? Man's not there to do what? Till the ground. He, he, it's not. So then what does he do? Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. What did he do? Oh, I'll keep reading. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. The three components. What does he do? He reaches down, grabs a clump of dirt, spits in it and then forms man's body. Then he breathes into man. There's the spirit going into man. God breathed his spirit into man. How do we communicate? How do we relate to God? It's in our spirit. Now, okay? Then man became a what? A living soul. So when, you're, when, you, when he spits... Usually when you spit, what's coming, what are you doing? Talking. Words are coming out. Okay? Sometimes, well, in the past, when before, B.C., before COVID, when we had the room full, we had people sitting down, and they would go, don't spit on me. Why? Because you get, you get to talk. What's coming out? Words are coming out, so the spittle's coming out. So as you're, as you're talking to him, as the Lord is talking to this man, he does what? He's spitting, literally, literally spitting into his tongue because he touched his tongue. He puts it, the fingers are in, so the Holy Spirit's there, and he's speaking the word to him. Now go back there to Mark 7. My point is not to get bogged down in all of the minutia, but it's, there's a process here. We're going to have the Holy Spirit, the Word come. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to get active. And then he's going to reach over here, and he's going to give the Word. Then he touch, touched 
his tongue. Now verse 35, and straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed. So evidently, when he touched his tongue, he's now able to do what? Speak plainly. He had, he was tongue-tied. He couldn't get it out clearly. He could make no, he could speak, but it just didn't make any sense. It was on, it was on, it was intelligible. Now he can hear, and he can do what? And speak. And once he can hear the words, now he can do what? Speak the words. So literally, what Christ did, does in the spitting, if you will, is he literally puts his words in the man's mouth. That's literally what he's doing here. Okay, and he's, it's gross when you think about it, but he just spits in the guy's mouth. That's what he, and then all of a sudden it loosed the tongue, and off he goes. By the way, if you read verse 33, he put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. He doesn't say he touched his tongue with his hands. So then what touched his tongue? The spit. Okay, and that's literally what's happening, is he's, he's spitting, he's giving the man the word. Matthew 10, in the commissioning of the apostles, they're told, don't worry about what you're going to say, it'll be given to you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to come, when the Holy Spirit comes, Acts 2, Peter didn't have to do 10 hours of Bible study, 20 hours of Bible, he just got up and let her rip, as they say. And the Spirit took care of business. So back here in verse 33, he put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. Now, that's a wonderful thing there. That a wonderful picture of the humanity of Christ. He sighs. He he, in the sigh... He's demonstrating his, in the healing, he's demonstrating his deity. Who can heal? Only God can heal. But in the, his humanity, what's happening? He's wearing out. He's tired. It's been a long day. The multitudes have been pressing on him. So, it, he, he does this, this sigh. Uh, remember the, the disciples tried to, they're like, you know, you got to come over here and get something to eat. You've been on your feet all day. Let's time to rest and relax. And the multitudes pushed on him and wouldn't let him. And that's, that's the issue here. He is God. Isaiah 40 says that God doesn't get weary. Okay? Isaiah 40 uh, 28 is the verse. He says there that the creator of uh, the, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. But Christ as, as man, as human, gets weary and is worn out. So you see this great picture here in Mark 7 of him living in the context of his humanity. He is God. That's how he can heal the guy. Actually, he's healing everybody. But yet in his humanity, he has to depend on the Father and the Spirit to bear witness to who he is. 
because he's just human on this side. <laughs> Over here, he's God, he's deity, but he's all 100%, but he's also 100% human. So he's, he has to, he, he sighs. And again, he's weary. He's, it's time for a little R&R. By the way, he doesn't get there because in chapter 8, he's going to go feed 4,000, and then he's going to go do this, and, it, and, you know, literally never stops. So he, the sigh here is a, a, an insight into the fact that he is the perfect man. He is the perfect servant. And he's suffering for his people. His heart to, towards Israel is, uh, okay, here we go again. You know, Paul said it to the Galatians, you know, do I have to go labor again and travail again? You know, you guys didn't get this, now I got to go do this again. But then he tells the Corinthians, he goes, or the Philippians, for me to do this over and over again to you isn't grievous. For you, to me, for you it is safe. What's the difference between the Galatians and the Philippians? Belief. One was believing and one was not. They're arguing. They're debating. They're contradicting. And that's literally what's happening here. He looks at, he, he looks at them, and that's what Mark's doing here. Here's the heart. Here's the sym sympathetic heart of the servant, of the Savior. Look at this. He's going to touch this guy. He's going to open his ears. He's going to loose his tongue. And he's, I don't know, have you ever argued with someone and then you get done and you're like, that was exhausting and we didn't get anywhere? Maybe not an argument, a conversation. I have those every Sunday with certain of you. Okay, You just never get there. It's like, Really? I got, you know, that's literally, the Lord just dealt with the Pharisees and their vain religious, and he's like, you're not getting it. Now, he got a respite with the Gentile lady, mom. She got it. But then he looks over and he goes, I've got to teach you guys now how I'm going to restore them. And by the way, I'm going to do this through you. And what needs to happen? Well, you, we got to get the Holy Spirit on board. There's some work there that's got to be done. Then there's the word given. Again, all those of Israel are not really Israel. Okay, so the Spirit comes. Who's he coming to? Only the believers. And then the believers get the word, and off they go. And you're going to have to do the same thing. Verse 34, he looked up into heaven. He sighed. And what does he say? Be opened. Open up. Verse 35, and straightway his ears were opened. And the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. Again, key word, straightway, immediately, boom, it's done. But it's done after the process. And again, that's what we're, I'm trying to focus in is the process. Yes, he does heal, but there's a step here that's happening. So first, they're going to have to have the word. Then they're going to have to let the word loose their tongue. In order for Israel to be who they're supposed to be, they have to have, they have to believe the message that's being preached to them. Then they're going to have to take, believe that message, and then they go, and then they go and preach that message. 
That's why when you get into the early Acts period, the message being preached hasn't changed. It doesn't change till Acts 9 with Paul. It's the same message. Why? Because what does Israel need? They need to hear that message, believe that. He says, sirs, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And that's the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. Peter pricked their hearts, got them a little guilty. 3,000 of them got it. Then, you know, and on you go. So what we're seeing here with Mark, again, is we see the heart of the Savior towards his people. And what he's doing is, is he's showing them how the process of how the provision is going to be carried out. How he's showed, he fed them the 5,000. Remember, I'm going to provide for you. He goes over here and walks on the storm in the sea, and he says, I'm going to protect you in the, in the moment. And here he's, here's how I'm going to do this. I said I'm going to do it. I've been showing you, but here's how. Here's the process. The Spirit's going to come. You're going to get the word. You've got to believe. And again, he's talking to the little flock here, the believing remnant. That's who he's talking to. He's away from the multitude. And, he, and guys, you're the ones going to have to do this because in a couple chapters, he's going to tell them, I'm dying, I'm leaving, and you're, you're up. Okay? So literally, he shows them how the provision will be taken care of. He enters into their circumstances. He becomes the man of sorrow, acquitted with, uh, acquainted with grief. Boy, I can't quote tonight. That's exact. Here's his heart. Here's what's happening. He's been that contrast of the Pharisees' thinking, the Pharisees' heart. Here's the heart of the Gentiles. They're ready. Here's the heart of the Savior to get Israel ready because the Gentiles are ready. And here's the picture. So verse 36, he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so the more a great deal they published it. Isn't that the way it is? He, he says, don't go and tell anybody. And yet what do they do? They go and tell everybody. Now, that's a natural reaction to what they just saw. Because verse 37 is the why they go publish it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Now, that why did they go and publish this stuff? It's true. It happened. But they just see God do something here. But they, they were beyond measure astonished. This is like not a, oh, wow, great, you guys did it. They're like, holy cow, did you just see that? He spit in the guy. Could you, did you just see that? He put his phone, yeah, he jump-started him. Look at him, you know, and they just, boom. And the tabloids run with it, and off they go. Now, they were astonished with him quite a bit. They're astonished at his doctrine. They're astonished at, at his authority. And they're teaching. Now they're, they're astonished at what he's doing, the, the activity. So, what it, so, they do, so he tells them, don't go do. They go do because they're what? Astonished. Look at this. We've got to tell everybody. And off they run. When they say there in verse 37, 
He hath done all things well. That's an understatement. But now, you always understate, you never overstate it, you always understate it, right? You never oversell it, you always undersell it. And literally, that, that's the issue. <laughs> and the, the why, that's why, by the way, verse 33, he took him aside from the multitude. This was to be a private thing, this was to be a teaching moment. See, but when they... He's trying to use the moment to teach that little flock how to what's going to happen and where their heart should be. And yet, what happens? Everybody knows about it. Make CNN, Fox, MSNBC, ABC, CBS. It's on all the new. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's everywhere. And so he. He accomplishes what he set out to do. Now, Mark chapter 8, verse 1, again, we'll pick up here next time because it's 10 minutes to the hour, and I'd really want to do this, this next stuff in one setting. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat. So here he's going to feed another group of people, and again, what are they? They're in need. So again, we'll see some conditions in Israel that need to be taken care of. But don't miss what Mark's doing in chapter 7. Here's where Israel is spiritually. Vain, empty, religious system. Cat, nowhere. Here's where the Gentiles' hearts are. The Pharisees' heart, hypocrites, they're over here, external, nothing set, nothing of value spiritually coming out of them. Here's the Gentiles. They know more about what's going on than they do. The Israel leadership does. They're ready. And then the Lord, here's, so here's the heart of the Gentile. But really we're seeing the heart of the Messiah as he's dealing with the Gentile because they're ready. And then he reaches into that little flock and says, okay, here's how we're going to have to fix that group of people over there so then they can do what the Gentiles are going to need them to do, which is bless them. Okay? All right. So we're 10 minutes early. I give 10 minutes back. So you guys are lucky. People that aren't here, they're not a luck. Okay? We'll start with Chapter 8 next time. It's a, it's a, neat, it's a nice break, and we'll see the, the, the 4,000 get fed, and the Pharisees, they're going to ask him, uh, for a sign, and, and the, the leaven of Herod, the Herodians pop up, and all this good stuff. So we'll just keep plugging right along, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the instructions here, and we can take the heart and see the heart of the Savior, the heart of that servant that he is as he's dealing with his people, his nation. And uh, we rejoice in that, and we rejoice in what he's accomplished in his people today in the church, the body of Christ, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.